Maybe that's a feeling of agitation caused by the presence or imminence of danger. Why do you think people believe in ghosts? Terminal 55. 
Remember those idyllic scenes out of your childhood? Crisp winter nights, star bright, sleigh bells, crackling yule logs, candlelight glistening off of shimmering Christmas trees, chestnuts roasting over open fires, carolers beneath snow-covered window ledges. Remember those. Remember them well. After Black Christmas, they'll never be the same again. Black Christmas, starring Olivia Hussey, Keir Dulay, Margot Kidder, and starring John Saxon as Lieutenant Fuller. If this movie doesn't make your skin crawl, it's on too tight. Ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to Inside a Movie Scholar. Uh, I'm your host, David Stregi, and today I have uh, the lovely uh, Katie Cadaver. Hello. Um, as well as uh, Dane. Hello. Uh, as well as Brandon. Yes. And Katie Hello. Uh-huh. So um, today we're going to talk about a film that was uh, uh, filmed in 1975 uh, by a director by the name of Bob Clark. Um, And uh, it predates um, a film that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, which it somewhat has something to do with. But um, the absence of the film is that we have a sorority house that ends up having a bank call killer and one by one they get uh, they, they uh, start to disappear so starting over um starting over uh, uh, with Katie was this your first time watching the film this actually was my first time seeing it all the way through I had sat down to start it and I don't know I got distracted or fell asleep or something and I never actually finished it so I sat down this time obviously and watched it all the way through and um really enjoyed it quite a bit actually I didn't I didn't have a ton of expectations for it I just knew that it was one of those cult classics that I needed to see so um I kind of just went in with no expectations, and I was pleasantly surprised. I thought it, um, from 1974, it really seemed like it was ahead of its time to me in certain aspects. Um, I thought uh, there was a lot of great uh, humor in it, which I always like in horror movies. Um, So that was really a pleasant surprise. And it wasn't, like, cheesy at all. I thought the acting was really good. Everybody did a great job, and... Yeah, overall, I, I don't have anything negative to say about it. Um, it kind of plays to the type of horror movies that I like. I, it felt a lot like a Jalo film in the way that it was kind of a mystery um, because we don't know who this uh, person on the other end of the phone is. And obviously, we know there's a killer in the house and 
how this is, ha- you know, that whole like mystery of the who done it. You know, we don't actually see the killer, so that that sort of um, point of view or whatever, like that, that kind of started that. But I'm sure we'll get more into that. But those types of things, those aspects uh, of horror, are things that really draw me in. So this movie had me right away. So yeah, I liked it, and I'm glad that I picked it. Well, firstly, before I go uh, go on and uh, um, ask uh, anyone else's point of view, this was actually a Canadian production. So, uh, uh, so um, uh, when you go about and discuss discuss the film, we've got to look at how American this film. I mean. You know, so uh, heading over to uh, um, Brandon, uh, why don't you uh, tell me, was this your first time uh, viewing this film? No, and actually I have watched this many times, um, though my first introduction was uh, through the remake, which is uh, Black Xmas. A uh, very enjoyable film, uh, and then... I had the Christ back in Black Christmas. <laughs> but I, I ended up uh, ended up finding this one, and I really wanted to see it uh, a while ago because of its historical value. When it comes to just the genre, I really like going back and looking at important films, and just because of its importance level, it had to be in my collection, so I had it in there, uh, and um, I've watched it probably, this is probably the fourth or fifth time. Uh, as far as it goes, it's, I have my issues with it, but overall I consider it a very good film and a very solid film. Okay. Um, uh, moving on over to Dane, uh, was this a first time watch? Yes, it was. Um, I, I'm surprised no one has said this yet, so I'll say it. Um, interestingly enough, so the director of this film, Bob Clark, uh, you said the Canadian production thing. I think he is Canadian, or, or was. I don't know if he's still alive, but anyway, he was, no, well, he did this, and then he also went on to do another well-known Christmas film, namely A Christmas Story, which I find very funny because... Uh, I'm personally, I'm not a big fan of A Christmas Story because I think it can be very uh, needlessly unpleasant and horrific for kids. And I know I'm a minority, you know, uh, that's a minority opinion. But I just think that's funny considering that with this film, it's supposed to be horrific. And uh, in that respect, um, he does a really, really, really good job at uh, creating very good uh, tension and suspense and... uh, subverting our expectations and uh like uh uh, katie said there's no just kind of obvious cheesiness or any kind of it the acting's quite good it's got a lot of uh people that were stars or would later go on to be even bigger stars like uh, obviously olivia i think it's i don't know if it's pronounced hussey or husey or whatever uh, she was in, uh, she was Juliet and Franco Zeffirelli's Juliet, uh, Romeo and Juliet. And then uh, Margot Kidder would later go on to be uh, Lois Lane in the Superman movies. And uh, Kira Julia, who's the boyfriend, 
he was in 2001 A Space Odyssey, and uh, then, I'm trying to think who else stood, stood out, but um, anyway, those are just a little bit of background there. But the guy that played the detective, I forget his name, but he was, he's like a detective in all the horrors. He's in like Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. So the, uh, but anyway, like the, uh, I felt like they really, I was just impressed with his ability to make a really good uh, horror film in terms of, uh, like, I, it wasn't all that graphic, uh, and yet it feels very disturbing because of the killer's uh, just but the you don't see. He, yep, exactly. And the... Yeah, and the and you know, and Psycho and all the greats. If anything, I'm surprised that this hasn't gotten a bigger reputation because it actually predated Halloween and uh, was in the same year as Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And uh, you know, it, it does a lot of those same things right that those films did <laughs> with really good acting. And uh, you know, it's obviously a holiday themed horror film. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, I, I have wonderfully positive things to say. I, uh, I'm just a little uh, disappointed that it doesn't have quite as much mainstream recognition as I think it should have. What's interesting, uh, before I move, move on to Jake's uh, perspective, is, uh, is that uh, there was a conversation that um, uh, Bob Clark had with um, John Carpenter later on uh, and uh, John Parker had actually asked him uh, uh, per se whether he would actually do a sequel to this film, and uh, he said, "No. I, in fact, uh, this is the last horror film that I will probably do. But if I did uh, one, I would uh, do it in uh, in a mental hospital, and he would break out. He he would go back to the sorority house and start killing them off one by one. Incidentally." Later on, John Carpenter directed Halloween. Well, I think more specifically, uh, Bob Clark mentioned it being a Halloween, you know, holiday sequel as well. I don't know. I never heard that it was that detailed of a response about it. But from what I understand, it's basically as if Bob Clark's movie planted an idea in John Carpenter's mind. Correct. Whether he knew it or not, to inspire him to create Halloween. Well, there I don't know if they discussed exact, you know, a plot scenario or anything. On the I anchor, hadn't heard that. On the on the Anchor Bay uh, Blu-ray, there's an interesting documentary that I was watching, um, uh, 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 where Bob Clark was actually uh, talking about how John Carpenter had actually. Happened. So uh, so. Incidentally, it, 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 he thinks it's very, you know, interesting how uh, his character of Michael Myers broke out of a, a mental hospital and came to Haddonfield <laughs> and terrorized and started killing off the people, you know, and uh, it, it, that's exactly what he, you know, told him how his how his um, sequel would happen, you know. So. Actually, that sequel uh, is almost as I actually it is identical, other than happening in Christmas instead of Halloween, to the remake of the film. Yeah. Uh, actually, it is totally identical. The thing is, the thing is, the Black Xmas um, tells more of a backstory. 
involved in, you know, uh, know who Billy really is, you know, uh, who who this killer really is. We don't really know exactly who he is. All the way up, we don't even know whether or not he was, in fact, the college boyfriend that had come back in the very end. But let's go on to uh, um, um, Kabuki Jake's uh, point of view. Uh, was this your first time watching the film? It was my first time seeing this version, although I believe Brandon had shown me previously the remake, so I, I at least was vaguely familiar. Um, and, and again, because Halloween borrows a lot from this, I think I had a little bit of an idea of some things. But it's funny that you say Bob Clark said he wouldn't do another horror movie when uh, his last credited feature film was Super Babies, Baby Geniuses 2, which I know a lot of people say is one of the most horrifying films ever made. <laughs> and he also did a TV movie of holiday called The Karate Dog that was pretty awful. But uh, I had not made that connection with Bob Clark until I was just about, we were just about to start. And, uh, and yes, to answer, um, being you wondered aloud about whether he's still around. He died in 07. That's what I thought. Yeah, and he had been talking about a sequel right before his death. Apparently he wasn't, I guess he wasn't happy about the, uh, the remake or something. But, uh, and don't forget that he also did Porky's. <laughs> yeah, it's just funny, you know, that his, I, I don't know, it's just, I think it's so funny that he's so good at you know, doing this particular film, you know, and know he knows how to do suspense. He knows mm -hmm. how to do uh, have characters that are like the a lot like the characters. Uh, I think it was uh, Margot Kidder. Um, you know, her characters. You know, obviously she's a drinker and a bit of a you know troublemaker, but it's like she's still she's still likable, and that's that's a problem that a lot of horror movies have, especially nowadays, is that they kind of think that if it's a horror movie then they all have to be high schoolers or college students who are all just these horrible people that we can't wait to see die and it's like yeah they, generally speaking these were actually some pretty likable people i don't think there was anybody that i really disliked and uh, so that's where yeah i was just gonna say that's where stephen king succeeds in a lot of ways, where others fails because he always fleshes out his characters very well, so you get to know them before they die. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, and it's just—it's nice though because this does follow a lot of the slasher. Well, they weren't really tropes yet. Um, you know, they became tropes after the fact, but you know, this follows all those things, and yet, you know, these characters are likable. There's a lot of genuine. Uh, suspense, the villain. Follows them, but not exactly. Yeah. Like our 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 first kill is the virgin, which is typically our final girl. So yeah. it sort of follows it, but not really. But of course, at this point, it would have been laying the groundwork. The thing is about about this film is I think that Bob Clark was doing things camera wise. Oh yeah, were never done before. I mean, you got the view from the killer Four years before Halloween, Halloween. And, and when you just see his hand uh, just slightly, you know, and they'll go into that attic. You know, I think it's an attic or or wherever the heck he's going into. 
and um, you know you, you you see his viewpoint as he's um, go, uh, go, uh, coming down from uh, from the, uh, the ladder. Um, you you see he, uh, uh, that wavering camera movement as it's going up towards the house. I mean, these are things that uh, that were set uh, that set tones for future um, slashers. So, uh, so I I think that this film is kind of like a grandfather of the slasher. Well, it did the it did the first person thing uh, four years before Halloween did. Now, granted, Halloween did it really really well too. Um, I kind of actually think that this film did it a little better because it did it more often and. Uh, because the killer speaks, uh, but in a very disturbing manner, um, you know, not just like, you know, the heavy breathing that Michael Myers does, you know, it's like that adds the extra dimension to it, plus the fact that there's clearly, this person clearly has a backstory of some kind, some reason why he's doing what he's doing, but because we don't know what it is, uh, but it's clearly there, that allows us to guess what it is and I, I think it's it sounds like fit to me based on the voices that he was using it sounds like you know uh, family strife and uh, you know really strong willed brother kind of Ed Gein background that seems to be how it came off to me um, but uh, I, I just think that was really effective uh, Plus, of course, the whole uh, the calls coming from inside the house thing, which <laughs> I think that uh, it wasn't it uh, when a stranger calls did that afterward, um, you know. And I mean, and not to mention, obviously, uh, Scream would do that same uh, thing, well, obviously, as an homage to these kinds of movies. It would probably be uh, more effective to people who had seen it before all the movies that came later in that respect, but it was mm -hmm. interesting to see where it came from. But I did want to also uh, say a couple other things at the beginning. Um, one being that uh, one of the things that caught my attention, I went into this not knowing what I would think, but one thing that immediately had me going, oh, this might not be so bad after all was the, uh, the credit sequence. And yes, um, Dan already mentioned some of the notables, but I, I, I sat there going, oh, Julia and Lois Lane are in this. That could be interesting. <laughs> and, and, and Dave from... And Dave, uh, I didn't know that until later. I looked that up and I found that out. And another of the cast that you guys mentioned or didn't mention was... Um, What's her name uh, that uh, plays Phil, Andrea Martin, is the only member of the cast who came back for the remake. She played the house mother in the remake. And, of course, I knew her from my Big Fat Greek Wedding and probably a couple other things, which is another totally random credit. But to bring Stephen King back into the mix, uh, Olivia Hussey went on to play Audrey Denbo in, in the TV movie of it. So, mm -hmm. That was kind of a, when I realized that, I was like, oh, yeah, that, yeah, that's kind of cool. Yeah, she was, she was an amazing uh, actress and probably mm -hmm. one of the mm -hmm. most, well, very talented and one of the most beautiful women of her generation, mm -hmm. without a doubt. And um, that actually reminds me of something in terms of the 
um, historical context of the film and getting into characterization a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things I think that was very re- refreshing about this, especially when you saw the kinds of slasher films that came later, um, is the fact that, uh, well, we have all these sorority girls, they're all very distinct. Uh, they're not terribly, they don't just talk about men all the time. They have their own personalities and um, they're all likable to various degrees. And then you have our main character, uh, Jess, who is a very, uh, you know, st- strong-willed person, very individual. Uh, she's not, uh, she- she's able to be strong and individual without being unpleasant or unkind in any way she asserts herself but she is still very much someone who uh you know you you would want to be around and then this also uh was just in the wake of uh, roe v wade in the united states and so you have and obviously with the um the early waves of uh, feminism in america and how both of those things together formulate this person who uh, you know, is feeling comfortable in saying, you know, I have hopes and dreams and I'm not going to give it up for you, uh, her boyfriend, and I don't necessarily want to have this child, uh, you know, because I don't want to... It just, it's, he's well, kind of... there's a, tons of feminist overtones, as a female, I'd be yeah, interested in speaking about that. Well, he's, yeah, well, and we will. Um, he sure. is expecting her to follow the usual path from uh, you know decades past and she's not going to do it and I just I think that's a very important bit of characterization and also important for uh, historical context and it still holds up like it's not too uh, in your face about when it was made even though obviously um, when it was made is very relevant but um, you know it's something that I think helps to separate this person from other later um, slasher protagonists or other supporting characters where they fall into the trap of, oh, they only talk about men and their relationship to men and they're not really uh, individualized in and of themselves. And it's like, look at that, that's that's nice. And this film's doing that long before uh, any of these other ones were falling into that trap. Um, hey Katie, did you want to uh, go into that? Not really. I mean, Dane pretty much just said everything I would have said about that. But yeah, pretty much. I do have one little thing on that that just maybe partly this is my personal feeling, but one unkind thing she did, I think, was telling her about, you know, it was her decision, but I'd be like, she could have just gone and done it. But yeah. the way he turned into a total doucher afterwards, I was like, ugh. <laughs> well, I, I think she was trying to show him some degree of courtesy because they are well, still yeah. together. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're still yeah. together so much. Mm-hmm. She's trying to respect, you know, his right to know. But at the same time, you know, I mean, if she had gone and done it just, uh, you know, willy-nilly, then it might have made things worse had he found out later and... You know, that and he just was... She's just she's just acting out of honesty. Yeah. That, that and, and honesty and respect for his, 
Yeah, just for the fact that they're together and presumably, you know, a couple and everything, but obviously, uh, which he, he was quite a, uh, and I, I have actually met uh, Kira Dulia um, mm -hmm. at, at Dragon Con in the past, but, um, and I didn't even know he was in this, but um, otherwise I would have asked him about it if I had seen it, but anyway. Uh, he, his character was it's it's it was weird seeing him with the long hair because uh, in two thousand one he has the nice short you know NASA approved haircut and uh, you know but then here he's playing a real douche you know obviously like a really just full of himself artiste yeah. and uh, you know that was he played that very well and um, it definitely shows that he's not you know a very uh, enlightened or tolerant person when it comes to you know his girlfriend and supporting her and her dreams like he thinks he is when he's well and i that. think it's definitely a, a you know a reflection of the times oh yeah you know in the in the mid-70s that was still kind of what you did if you got pregnant in college with your college boyfriend you married him and you sacrificed your dreams to raise your kids that you had and in some cases that's still very true today depending on you know the culture of your family and the way that you're brought up uh, but this is definitely it paints a picture for us of the kind of woman that jess is which i think you know is a little bit like a laurie strode a little bit different though because laurie was a little bit more innocent but it builds that strong female character which we don't see a lot of that's one of the tropes that um kind of came in where i thought this movie did a really great job of not like you can't blame black christmas for the stupid chick in a horror movie trope like i don't think they take the blame for that because well, they definitely the, showcase the, some more strong females not only that but you can't accuse it of the uh misogynistic overtones that a lot of slasher films you know were purported to have you know subsequently and then well and then you see just how like exploitative they they were after that point and then you're like well it's kind of hard to you know to justify this um but you know it's just like look at that you know we've got a character who uh, or, or they they uh if if they're not just complete you know ditzes who have no will of their own then they're either like the really just not they, they feel like in order to be you know independent or, or uh, strong or self-assured that you have to be nasty or you have to be unlikable and that's you know not the case here either so it's like they hit the perfect balance before you know the bad uh, trait began in that genre and um, it's just it's nice to see that you can have someone who's a fully realized character. I dare say that she's a more fully realized character uh, than Laurie Strode, at least uh, in if we're talking just the first Halloween, because obviously well, sure. she had well, more. She had more well, that and she had more movies to be developed, you know. <laughs> I, I would agree with that, and this goes back to what you were saying about this movie kind of fell off to the side in some ways. You know, you'd almost think if you were to, to come to this one fresh and come to Halloween fresh, you'd be like, you would almost think Olivia Hussey and, and Jess would be the, the screen queen, you know, not Rose <laughs> Judd, you know. Yeah, would at least what I would think. Like, but everyone thinks Jamie Lee Curtis, you know. She's like the the one everyone comes to, and it's like, I, if this film had had half the popularity at the time that Halloween did, you know, then... 
Well, that was another film that, that at, at, at the same time was doing exactly some of the same things. I mean, no, no, I no. Brandon knows I hated that movie. <laughs> But it's it's very similar in the in the uh, way that the kills are done, where you don't see a lot. Right. A lot of it is left to the imagination. I would argue that right. you see more gore in Black Christmas than you see in Chainsaw. No, the biggest thing with me was the extended torture scene. Even so, even so, the only blood that you uh, that you see in the film is when she opens up that door and she sees those dead bodies. Yeah. It's mostly just implied. It's mostly Dave, did you get to do your first impressions? Uh, no, um, I did not. Oh, why don't you go ahead and do that before we get too far? <laughs> no, I actually saw this one uh, before, way before I ever saw uh, the, uh, the, uh, the remake, which failed to me in the comparison to this one. Uh, uh, but I also think that it added some. Uh, because of getting the backstory of you know you know you see the flashbacks of the sister and all that stuff. but what I liked about uh, about the, uh, the film was the camera uh, camera movements from the first perspective and um, what that brought uh, I mean we more of those movements uh, more more from his point of view the, and plus I mean. You gotta uh, think when they, when we finally figure out that the killer is in the house. Look at that fucking, uh, fucking machine of a a switchboard, man. I mean, they're they're searching down rows and rows of these telephone lines, and this is a monstrous. Yeah. That made me question, like, how, I I said I said out loud, I don't know enough about the way that phones used to work to understand what was even going on there, like what he was even doing. I wanted to like, research that. Both, uh, that. Basically what that was was a switchboard machine where, where he had to follow um, he had to follow along where the, uh, where the line was going. And, and it, it, evidently Well I got that much out of it, but I don't understand how it worked. He was following the currents of electricity, where the where the telephone uh, phone line was coming from, and when he realized where it, where it actually located, that it was coming from the same damn place that it, uh, she was calling for, uh, from. Yeah. That's when it comes to the real, real realization that oh my god, the killer is inside the house. You know. <laughs> well, and the the one of the well, besides the fact that we obviously get to see it. Um, you know, along with the killer, besides that, um, we know that there's a second line, yeah, for the the house mother or whatever, and uh, so obviously there's a plausible reason why someone could do that. Um, yeah, and obviously that was a nice bit of foreshadowing. Oh yeah, well, and it's not, uh, you know, like in Scream where that was obviously the dawn of the cell phone age, although they were still very much in their infancy. But the point is that the killer could well, could be near you, but didn't necessarily have to be inside the house, but could be just outside, or could be, you know, even in the house, or wherever. <laughs> so Hi. Hey, Justin. 
I live. <laughs> Barely. Uh, well, technically, yes. <laughs> so, um, we were talking about uh, the movie Black Christmas. And um, we didn't do a review of it. So, uh, uh, what was your opinion of the film? It was I thought we did National Lampoon this week. No. Somebody <laughs> told me Nash it was National Lampoon tonight. What? Well, no one. What? No, Black Christmas. It's on. It's in our group. There's a post and everything. You're tagged in it. I don't know what else to do besides knock on your door with a singing telegram. <laughs> you, should, yeah. you should you should get Billy to give him a call. Really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you think he'll shout obscenities at me? No. no. So that way he can go. Tell <laughs> 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 you nice. about your pretty pink pussy. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Meaning your cat, who happens to be pink somehow. <laughs> Well, okay, fine. Um, dang, I could have watched a better movie. Well, uh, I didn't. I didn't rewatch it yet this year. Um, but Black Christmas is it's kind of a forerunner of a lot of the sli of the slasher movies. Like it kind of, it predates almost all of them, and I mean I enjoy it. Like it's a good movie. A lot more suspenseful. Like it's got uh, it's got a lot more art in it than a lot. Um, Katie earlier said, uh, said that she uh, thought it reminded her of a Guyola film. Would you concur? Yeah, I can. I can see that. It's a little bit. It's got like different sensibility. It's like British, right? Well, Canadian. Canadian. Yeah. Oh. Well, Canadian British. Same, Canadian there. Hey. Same bullshit. <laughs> Well, it's, it's funny that you did say uh, about a Giallo film. Uh, I I could see it in the sense of a, a murder mystery, basically, with, uh, you know, that, that kind of element. Although I will say that I felt like this took itself, that, well, at least on the acting level, it took itself far more seriously. Well, but, uh, yeah, well and, and paid off, because that's, that's one of my big complaints about Giallo as a genre, is that the acting feels very like over the top in a way that doesn't match the otherwise seriousness of the story because it's not really meant to be campy necessarily but it comes off as campy without necessarily meaning to but this movie well it's also because we well, got a better quality of actor here too so do we Giallo's real quick day uh before dave's point uh, a lot of them are dubbed, and so that's why they seem to have that kind of, like, goofy quality to them. Yeah, exactly. So, they're meant to be, they're meant to be serious. You just can't, uh, you just can't get the, you can't understand the original Italian and have it, like, fully played correctly. Like, you have to go with the dub. Like, uh, I mean, Pieces isn't a, is kind of, Pieces is a, yellow. it's a, that's, like, not Italian. And it's kind of infamous for how goofy its dub sounds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, that's a fair point, because I'm not really a fan of dubbing 
in general uh, so that because it, it really dis- distracts from the the mood of the film as a whole but uh, I do feel like with this film they did get a just in general I felt like they got a really good strong uh, caliber of actor um, on all levels really um, and there was humor in the film but it didn't uh, it wasn't out of tone with the rest of it, you know, because I, I'm, I'm right there with Katie in the sense that I like, I love seeing humor in otherwise serious films. Uh, it just is a matter of it, you know, fitting the mood overall. And I, I noticed that, like, in a lot of earlier films uh, in that time, of course, the 70s were, I mean, 70s were, they were a splatter film uh, renaissance, really, in a lot of ways. Um, not saying this was one, but in that, in that sense. Uh, and a lot of times when you would have that kind of goofy thing going on, they'd even play the, the goofy music, but they did not do that here. They just kind of played it off uh, as just a brief thing, just a brief interlude to give you more insight into the character, but that was about it. <laughs> um, can we, in fact, classify this as a horror film? Definitely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, um, I read an article, and I subscribed to Thangoria when they came back, and th- in the first issue, it has an article talk called, It's Not a Horror Film, which basically discusses, like, how there was this we- that whole stigma that there used to be around horror films, like, they would talk to somebody about, I can't remember the actual movie that uses the example, but... Say seven, like they would talk to somebody about seven, and they'd be like, "Oh yeah, it's a psychological thriller. Don't call it a horror film." <laughs> and objectively, a lot of those types of movies can be called horror films. Like *The Farms of the Lambs* is a horror film, you know. And yet, I would agree with that. They oh. subject, uh, subjectified uh, some of these films as being uh, a psychological thriller, which is in fact its own genre. So. Um, speaking of uh, genre, so did anybody did anybody bring up like kind of the similarities with Halloween? Uh, yeah, uh, we definitely did. In fact, um, we kind of went over how uh, uh, there's uh, there's uh, an interview on a documentary that I watched uh, on the behind the scenes. Um, um, it was on the Averblade Blu-ray that I was watching. Um, and uh, Bob Clark, the director, he was actually saying that if he had done a uh, that he'd actually talked with John Carpenter, and um, and John Carpenter had asked him, you know, would you do a sequel if you, if you had ever wanted to, and he said, well, um, no, I'm not in fact doing a sequel, but here's what I would do if I did. I would t- uh, take our killer, place him in a mental institute, he would break out, and then go back to the same story house and start ki- uh, uh, killing again. Which, four years later, what did, what did John Carpenter do? <laughs> Michael Myers broke out of a mental institute. And went back Kill I would like to see the movie Bill of Blood, because that's the only other movie that's kind of credited with this style um, of movie that would be earlier than this. Um, has anybody here actually seen Bill of Blood to, say, to make a comparison? Mm-hmm. I, 
Yeah, that is an old one, right? Mario Bava. Oh, yeah, that's really old. Um, <laughs> Barbara Steele was in it, correct? Or, no. I, I will have seen it because I have it ordered, but... I, I have been told, I've, I've been reading up on the slasher genre, and of course, the traditional slasher as we know it today, uh, all the troops and everything, it goes back to really three films, uh, four films really, which they point out as Day of Blood, uh, Black Christmas, Texas Chainsaw, and, um, that's the, and Halloween. Thank you. The most obvious one is the one I forget. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And again, like I was saying last night, some people would include a couple of additional films, like Psycho. And I would count this one as being no more slasher than Psycho, frankly. I thought it was more a psychological thriller than slasher. Oh, Black Christmas is a lot more exciting than Psycho. <laughs> but there's some similarities, I think, for sure. Yeah. Um, and then also, it is kind of a slow burn because you have the one disappear very early on, and then it's a while before anyone else goes, and then you know, they get to Actually, the slow burn is the only thing that I dislike about the film, and it, it was just about, but that's about how the time, uh, the time was for those types of films, was that uh, the point would move along in little increments. And uh, that, that to me, it, it always, for some reason, I always could get drowsy during the movie and have to rewind it, or actually go back to an earlier scene in, in today's uh, technology, <laughs> uh, in order to get it I still on. call it rewinding. <laughs> yeah, I do too. I do too. Well, my, my, my take on it real quick is that, I mean, a slow burn is fine as long as it's, Done is well once it's done properly and it's effective. Um, but even with like a good slow burn, it can be a bit too slow of a burn, you know. <laughs> yeah. There was some movie I saw not too long ago. Oh yeah, I rewatched uh, the Blair Witch Project, and that movie is, is definitely slow burn, but in a good way because uh, it does keep your interest. Um, I feel like this was... I wouldn't exactly say this was slow burn. I think it was just... Slower more, paced. I thought it was just slower paced, but not necessarily a slow burn. Uh, maybe slower than what we're used to today, where everything sure. has to... Well, everything nowadays like has to move at lightning speed, or else the audience gets bored. Which, and I'm uh, the perfect person to comment on that, because I don't really watch movies that come out now. Very rarely. For every ten movies I watch, three of them are newer. The other seven are, you know, before 1990. So, yeah. Well, the, uh, the, the thing I was fine with the pace. Yeah, well, it's, I don't know, it's, it seemed like it was proper movie pace, but, mm -hmm. you know, that's according to the standards of, you know, old school, I mean. Because uh, the standards of movies nowadays is basically that they have to move, uh, you know, really, really fast. Otherwise, well, sure, because we got to have everything now. You know, attention spans have really shrunk. Uh, yeah. And uh, for most of the time, I don't mind a, a slow burn film. It's just something about the middle of the film always has me right. dropping off. And I don't know what it is, but it's just that middle part of the film. I just keep dropping off. <laughs> 
So. I definitely didn't mean it in bad one with this one. I like the pacing of this film. I was I that wasn't all up front with the killing and the disappearing and all that stuff. But they took some time with the characters. But um, and speaking of the, the victims, uh, <laughs> the, the, uh, we haven't had any comment yet on the dorm mother. Oh, uh, she was she funny. She was funny. <laughs> she was a whole you gotta love You gotta love how lax the rules are in this, uh, had, this sorority. She had a liquor thing in every spot. Uh, <laughs> you know your problems when you're pulling the liquor bottle out of the tank of the toilet. I like this scene of her and the missing girl's father, and she's trying desperately not to make it look like a den of iniquity. And he's <laughs> uh, yeah, he's like, should I have sent my daughter here? And he's like, oh yeah, it's fine. She notices like a poster of like nude people, and she just like stands in front of it. <laughs> <laughs> The previous dead mother's picture is on it, and uh, you can see uh, the uh, the picture depicts her middle finger starting to come up. You know, <laughs> that's so funny. I I thought that was great. It's like, yeah, that's what grandma's really up to. <laughs> I really want that poster. I, I, I always have wanted that poster since I first saw it many years ago when I saw this. Did they ever print one? That would be an awesome like set to put in. Like I don't know. What these, um, like Severin or something should make, like a set with this on Blu-ray and some, a cool t-shirt and a cool poster of, like, the old house mother with her middle finger up. <laughs> be awesome. She's there inspiring us all. Hell, hell, I, I would even take, like, a full-blown poster of well, well they, um, they've replicated the, uh, the I Want to Believe X-Files poster to death, so why not this? <laughs> So, um, yeah, there is a, the, the release of this that I have is the Shark Factory one. Uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty, pretty great, so I don't know why it'd, it'd be cool to have, like, fun little extras like that, but I don't necessarily know if you would need, like, another release of Black Christmas, because the shot release, like, was so complete. I think it's two discs, and there was a lot of stuff on there. There was a lot of stuff on the Anchor Bay Blue, uh, believe it or not. I think they had all the Anchor Bays. I think they had all the Anchor Bay extras and then their own stuff. Because that seems to be how they do it. I was watching their Candyman earlier, and it looks like they got everything from the last DVD, along with a bunch of their whole new stuff. Uh, kind of fun thing. To see the new unrated cut and hear all the con con and yeah, and hear all the commentaries, you have to watch Candyman five times. <laughs> No, I thought that was really funny. <laughs> Clever. Interesting. So, um, ultimately, um, uh, um, I know that uh, I somewhat touched on that uh, machine of a um, of uh, a switchboard. But Dustin, what did you think about that switchboard? That monstrosity, where they finally found out that the killer was inside the house. Oh, are you talking about like the ancient carved from stone piece of technology that they were using? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, sometimes in these movies, you see something like that, like that, and it's like it almost kind of takes you out of it. It's like <laughs> why? Because well, at this point, I mean, it's so far removed from it's like that. 
It'll, it'll make me want to know how it works. It that is my immediate reaction. Like, I need to research how this works. <laughs> just make sure and wonder. But you also, it's also amazing how far we've come considering uh, that time period. Everything had to be velocity. Uh, big. I grew up with rotary phones. Uh, yeah, oh, my grandma had one. Wow, that makes me feel old. <laughs> so we had one when I was. We, that's all we had when I was small. I mean, I wasn't like we didn't get a rotor, we didn't get a regular phone until like I was ten or eleven. We had like the push button like phones that looked like the rotary phones, but they had the push buttons like from the phone company. I remember having that when I was a kid, but I remember like the phone that hung on the wall with like the super extra long cord so that my mom could go around the entire kitchen and like swat us in the ass like still on with a phone on her shoulder you know super long cord my grandparents uh, had the phone where you had to cr uh, uh, you picked up this uh, uh the, the one ear of it and it had a string and uh, and you, you actually had to crank it a tin can on one end and then the other person had a tin can on the other end and you had to pull it real tight here we go. <laughs> I I really love those old school phones where the earpiece and the mouthpiece were two different things. <laughs> I have a I have a really I have a fondness for that, and I have a fondness for the rotary style. You should, um, you should do that. Uh, 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 have that kind of phone in your next uh, noir. Film. I would love to. I'd love to because I I love. Uh, I, I'm a big fan of retro things anyway. But uh, I had a couple of those sitting in my grandfather's basement. <laughs> Well, it's uh, it's just interesting whenever people say that such and such took them out of the movie or something because I can never really understand what that means exactly. Um, well, more in general, but in this specific instance, it's just well, you know, that's how it was back then. They, it's how they, you know, that's how they were, how they conducted uh, calls, and you know, uh, yeah. Usually, that's kind of how I feel too, because it's. You know, yeah, I remember, like, the time period that I remember, you know, oh, it's set in a different time period, blah, blah, blah. Um, it just can be kind of, like, surprising sometimes, because it's like, wow, that looks so impractical. And it's like, oh, I think right, it does, is it, I think it dates the movie. I don't know that it necessarily exactly. takes you out of it, but maybe the dating of it. Much better way to phrase what I was saying. It, it can, sure, but again, I don't ever, I'm the, I've heard that from, well, not from, you know, this group, but, like, other people I have heard online who get, like, really wigged out about, um, you know, the, uh, that such and such, just because it's old, it, therefore, it feels dated, and it's like, well, you know, A, that's kind of a really cheap, easy dis way to dismiss a, a movie that happens to not be recent, number one, and number two, it's like, well, you know, movies cannot help but be of their time, Unless they're like the Wizard of Oz and set, you know, in their own world, pretty much. Um, and even then, it's even then it's somewhat dated in terms of how it was filmed and everything. But it's just, you know, it just usually whenever people say that, in my experience, it's a very facile way to dismiss it. And uh, you know, that's uh, now there are movies that are almost. Uh, explicitly dated in a way because of uh, the fact that they rely heavily on the technology of their time, like how You've Got Mail is all about dial-up internet, which, you know, hardly anyone uses anymore, and then War Games had, uh, you know, the old Cold War era 
computer defense systems and, you know, the old, uh, whatever that would have been, Commodore 64 computer games and mm-hmm. stuff. It's like, it's a great movie despite that, but it's like, yeah, that's, that kind of thing is begging to be dated a little bit more mm-hmm. because the plot hinges on it so much. Like, even exactly. in our own discussion groups here, um, Perfect Blue is slightly dated because you got young people who are barely computer literate. It's like right at the start of the internet. Um, but as far as uh, the topic of ancient things taking you out of the film, one trope that this film did fall into that I don't know if it was a thing already, but it certainly became a thing later, was people who were definitely too old playing younger people. Yeah. And I can't remember the name of the first victim, but they were like 22 and 23, and they were easily the youngest members of the cast. Kibalea was like 17 years older than them, or 15 years older. Well, that and uh, and Margot Kidder, yeah. she, she looked like she could have played Lois Lane right then and there, which mm. obviously it wasn't a long time after that that she did, but it's just like, you know, I'm like, don't you have to go back to the planet there, Lois? <laughs> what are you doing? What are you doing? You just expect Clark Kent to be in there like, Oh, yes, what, 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 what are you doing? You're under... Uh, Clark, I'm under cover. Like, the astronaut in 2001, and this film came out six, seven years later, six years later. Mm-hmm. So it's like, yeah, he went from uh, speaking to how uh, to uh, being a, a, a college student. Um, and it's the only one weird thing that occurs to me is it's the timing of this. Because the dude that played Hal, I believe his name was Douglas Rain, passed, yep. what, two years ago? So that was very, really timing to me, at least. <laughs> yeah, that little connection there, but, yeah. Maybe less I know, but whatever. Yeah, I wish I remembered more of this. Like, I, um, I don't know from who, but somebody told me we were doing National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, so I watched that. You're not alone on that, because I thought we were uh, going to tell me otherwise last night. I don't know how I got the wires crossed, but whatever. Yeah, there's a there's a post like there's a post where I said, "Should we do it like this?" And then I asked everybody to tell me what they thought, and nobody did. So I said, "Okay, look for a new post where yeah. I make an executive decision." And so then I did that. It was National Lampoon's up until that post occurred, and then it changed uh, gears. Oh, well, um, fuck whoever made that post. Right. Hey, fuck you, too. Fuck you for not looking at it. <laughs> I've been making finals. Like, I haven't been on Facebook. Well, dude, I don't know. Should I send a St. Bernard, or, like, how else should I get a hold of you? Carrier. <laughs> Change it. I don't understand. It wasn't even said. I asked everyone's opinion, like, do you guys like this order? And nobody said anything, so I assume no one gave a shit. <laughs> I think we need to send Barry, and that was the best way. Yeah, yeah, I was gonna I say, I mean, he, right. he's gonna be like the enforcer. Uh, it was my, uh, my work days. <laughs> Which, that's another thing I have to say with, uh, with characterization. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, character the, of the killer, Billy, um, he, despite us not knowing his backstory or whatever, able to kind of discern what it might have been based on what he talks about. I really love 
the fact that he can do multiple voices and they sound just like just that right mixture of you know convincing and like they could conceivably be someone else and yet also clearly being the voice of someone who is talented enough to do multiple voices like in other words they didn't get multiple actors to do multiple voices and they're like oh yeah that's the, the same person and it obviously isn't um but in this case i felt like it it was the same person and yet that person clearly was talented enough to do all those voices so that that tells us something right there about this person that he's definitely several cuts above your typical uh slasher movie villain do we even know is there like someone that plays him do we even know if there is an actual... Because, I mean, we see an eyeball, we see some hands. Is it always the same person every time? They said something in IMDb about who was who in that one. I think there were two people that did the physical part of it and, like, three who did the voices. But I don't remember right offhand. So, um, evidently, Billy was Albert J. Dunk. It's kind of a weird name. <laughs> um, yeah. It could be that uh, it could be like a remake where there are multiple killers. Uh, you just uh, because again, they never really gave a full <laughs> remake. Damn it! Yeah, yeah no, we don't. Fun. We don't find out who our killer is. That was one of the things about this movie that I thought was actually. Uh, it worked. You know, I, yeah. I thought I was going to be disappointed that there wasn't going to be a payoff, but the fact that there wasn't a payoff was kind of the payoff. So Yeah, I, I, I did not want the boyfriend to be the guy. I didn't want him to be the guy, and luckily he wasn't, as far as we know. Well, this but, is one of the first movies that did that, where they have, like, an open ending like that. It's like, he's in my house! <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> End. <laughs> Here. <laughs> well, I love that it ends just on the ringing of the telephone. Like that's that's so eerie and chilling, and because you know that that uh, her time is just around the corner, and uh, um, yeah, this just that ending is just <laughs> it handled it. It was handled really well. It was definitely a creepy ending. It was it, it, it was left to the imagination. Definitely. <laughs> So, um, did what, what did anyone uh, think about um, um, the uh, the father that had actually uh, come to uh, uh, look for Claire? Or... Well, I think the I mean, as far as him as a character, I don't know. I don't have really an opinion about him as what I thought of him as a character, but I felt like his presence um, really helped to set up. Like, kind of a, a realistic, you know, and sometimes you see in horror movies where somebody goes missing or somebody dies, and you really don't, it doesn't come through with the characters. It doesn't seem like they're really all that bothered by it. They're bothered by it for a second, and then they get over it and go on with life. And here you've got this dad, like, hanging around looking for his daughter, and this is an ongoing thing. And I, I feel like it adds to the, um, to the realness, you know, which was what was made this story so good, like, so believable to me. Yeah. And they did a good job with the role. He did, uh, I think he did a good job of, it was understated, but, like, uh, 
like the one female they're in the search party and the other person's child is missing and they both come across the body or, or like and you see like his palpable relief but on the other hand like <laughs> you know, well we never see the child's body if you notice huh. Well, we know who it is, though. We know it's the woman's child. That is yeah, there. but we never see the the body. Uh, but even, I mean, we don't really need to. Yeah, I we get the idea. Know. But <laughs> well, it's interesting because I don't think that the dad. I mean, he. Well, I agree with uh, with uh, Katie, and actually, they. What's funny is that in. Uh, well, on the one hand, they could have done what Scream did, which was they set up the father as possibly a red herring, um, which then they don't uh, ultimately go anywhere with that in, well, in either movie. In this one, they don't set him up as a red herring. But then, like, uh, in, in Scream, they actually make fun of the fact that, uh, you know, a key character dies and then, you know, and other characters don't really seem to be sad. Uh, that she's gone, and they just kind of forget about her, and then here, you know, it's it's the opposite, where uh, it's her presence is very clearly, uh, or her lack of presence is very clearly on everyone's minds, not to mention the father. Mm -hmm. One thing about that, though, there was one thing that bugged me about the movie, and that was, as bothered as everyone was, as worried as everyone was, no one checked the attic? Yeah, that was a flaw. Especially the cops not checking the attic, too. Yeah, I mean, they had bodies missing, and, and there was a whole, like, area that they did not search of the house. I just, yeah. You know, okay. yeah. I just have one quick uh, question to all of you. Uh, when, when the officer uh, was told not to tell her that the dude was in the house... What does he do? <laughs> what, what does she do? Uh, she does not go out the door. She goes up the stairs. Yes. She's trying to save her well, friends. But then, right. Even if she went out, the door was uh, was locked anyways. But regardless, she, did, she didn't listen to... Uh, what would you would have done? Would you have gone looking for your friends? Or would you have actually gone out the door? Well, well, it's kind of believable that she would look for her friends because she thought they were still alive. Not to mention that but, guy did not exactly create a sense of uh, believable authority and competence in his own. <laughs> I was going to well, say, he's he a bubbling idiot. He doesn't even know what fellatio is. That was well, uh, a good, good setup that we didn't even realize was a setup until that point because uh we think it's just comic relief and it is but then it's also a pretty key bit of character uh you know because he's clearly not a good cop he doesn't know how to handle people under stress and how to you know have good uh manners on the phone and he just cr exacerbates the situation and uh you know did he did he uh does the one thing he's not supposed to do, which is tell her that, and, you know, she freaks out and, you know, is inside the house when she shouldn't be, even though she doesn't know that, you know? And that palatio comment was not the only sexually related comment that Miss uh, um, Margot Kidder's uh, character made. Uh, she also made a, a comment about uh, turtles. That's um, right. Turtles having sex for three days straight at the and zoo. And you love turtles, <laughs> David. 
<laughs> exactly. I noticed. I noticed that co uh, comment right away. Actually. Well, and let's also not forget that the one thing that does perhaps state the movie, you could say, it just in terms of something that, uh, not so much story-wise, but just something that content-wise wouldn't necessarily fly today, is the fact that she's given, uh, you know, giving a kid uh, alcohol. Oh, yeah, that was yeah. yeah, which, uh, yeah, you, there's no way you'd get away with that today, even in a horror film, but, uh, you know, even then I thought, you know, I, I don't know, that, that's also just kind of a element of her character that she's you know not really someone who cares too much about the rules while at the same time uh you know not being too I, I don't know I never really got the sense that she was malicious or anything she was just more fun <laughs> and so even yeah. even with something like that which could totally get you in major trouble uh legally speaking uh even with that like you could see that she's not like trying to you know take him in the back room and molest him or anything. Well, and in terms of things that wouldn't fly in movies, um, what I found interesting was for an early 70s film, I thought it was really graphic with that first phone call, like some of the things that that our killer was saying on the phone. I was like, wow, for 74, I'm not expecting to hear the, the word, the C word that many times, you know, it was uh, I thought kind of I don't know, ahead of its time, maybe? Usually. So, I mean, that, uh, that's a part of Everyone said that at the same time. What? Okay. I was agreeing with you. It was, it was surprising oh. to me, too. Oh, yeah. Well, it it definitely was out there for then and today, although The Exorcist did beat it by one year as far as uh, vulgarity of that variety is concerned. Yeah, and I mean, triple P. <laughs> yeah, I re really do think that this film was overlooked at that, that point in time, and uh, I think uh, I think now people are starting to realize that this uh, other film grandfathered in what many of the slashers, uh, you know, w would follow in its, you know, in it, in its, you know. So. Wasn't Herschel Gordon Lewis really functional at that time? Um, I mean, he had been working since the late 60s, but I think he was still doing a lot of works during the 70s, wasn't he? Yeah. Of course, again, that's a different type, but uh, at the same time, if you're talking about anything, uh, when it costs, when you talk about blood or, like I said, I always considered the uh, late 60s, early 70s as sort of that, uh, as sort of that time where those types of films really ruled. So many of them being lost, of course, because they weren't printed on very good film stock, but still. Well, in 1970, he did the he did the Gore Girl Girls in 1972, so yeah, he, he did, uh, and uh, in 2002, he did Blood Feast 2, All You Can Eat. <laughs> but, um, yeah, um, he uh, somewhat uh, some of his gore, um, God, uh, Godfather of gore films uh, during the seventies, at least. So, of course, this was extremely tame compared to that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, true. true.
So, uh, did anyone else have anything else to add? Yeah, that was trippy. I have my my computer connects to my soundbar through like Bluetooth, and sometimes it just decides to turn itself on. So, if any of you guys heard a very loud boom coming from my end, that's what that was. <laughs> uh, well, this is this is such a great movie, and I really wish I'd uh, known to revisit it today. But uh, I remembered a fair amount of it, and I'm uh, sorry I couldn't be better. That's that's kind of something I'd like to get out of the way. At least you're prepared for next week. So. <laughs> you're already ahead of time. <laughs> and I and I have not seen that movie all the way through ever. Uh, uh, Christmas Vacation, so that'll be that'll be something. <laughs> well, it's like let's change the order for no reason. Like that was. There was a reason, Dustin, and I posted about it on the page. I said that for those local to Milwaukee, the Oriental is screening Scrooge on the 14th. So if anybody wanted to actually go and watch the screening of Scrooge at the Oriental, we could then cover it the the last week on the 18th. So I moved Scrooge to the 18th, and I moved Christmas Vacation to the week before that, and then I moved Black Christmas to now, since now is the closest to... Halloween that we're going to get in Christmas movies, and since it was a horror movie, I figured it was a good transition from out of some of our horror movies, we just did a horror movie last week too, to transition into the Christmas season, so, you know, but I I tagged you in the post, I don't know, I'll, I'll get that carrier pigeon next time though. After, after everybody was like, we're doing Black Christmas this week, great, yeah, like, that's, I still think that's stupid, I'm sorry. Uh, well, if you paid attention, then you'd know. I've been working, like, on my assignments all week. Like, I haven't been paying attention to Facebook. Well, the, I don't know how else to get a hold of you. We have uh, outside of outside of the show. I'll, um... Since, uh, uh, Dustin, I've got your number. I'll, uh... I'll, I'll, uh, I'll text you. We need Billy's help, because he hasn't let uh, phone calls go. You know, he, he stays on him. Yeah. Well. About the actual movie, you know, I first saw this when I started watching, like, the big staple movies. Like, I think I saw this in, like, 2013, and I was pretty happy with it. Like, I thought it was great. Uh, I was sort of introduced to it by Bravo's 100 Scariest Movie Moments, which I think the ending of Black Christmas was somewhere in there. It was, it was a long, it was a long show. But it was like, oh, okay. It was basically, the program was basically like a list of things to go out and see when I started this exploring this genre. And I was pretty happy with Black Christmas. And I got the Shut Factory Blu-ray, I think it was 2016. And it took a while to get through because it's like, I'm pretty sure it is two discs worth of like content. Let me just double check it. Yeah, it's two minutes, and each one was pretty full. So, I ended up being kind of sick of Black Christmas at the end of <laughs> sort of like real Christmas at the end of <laughs> watching those. But um, yeah, it would have been it would have been nice to see it again. I'll probably end up seeing it again anyway because it's you know it's like an appropriate holiday movie. Oh yeah. Uh, and if there's anything, anything uh, 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 that uh, you wanted to, uh, to add to the piece that you, did, uh, that you didn't, uh, uh, 
in future episodes, if there's anyone who misses, uh, you know, something, I'm going to allow some period of time for people to talk about things that maybe they didn't the previous episode. Is that cool? I'll watch it next week and then have, like, a quick rant for next week. Sounds good. So, alrighty. So, did anyone else have anything else that they wanted to add uh, that, uh, that they might want to uh, share uh, about the movie? Or do you think that we covered everything? Go see this movie. Like, find a copy and watch it. It's good. Oh, yeah. Yeah, very, very oh, underrated, good. I have to say. No, like really. or anything. Like, if you're into suspense, I mean, it probably would work better for you. I mean... The violence when it happens is, like, brutal and nasty, but it's not, like, overdone in any real way. Yeah, like, it's pretty pretty minimal, and it's yeah. it's only, it's as much as is needed to get the story, to get yeah. the idea, yeah. and that's... You see what you need, exactly. Exactly, and that's, well, that's a nice thing, whatever element of film that you're working with, you know, it's as much as you need for anything, and I think that ultimately results in a better film and i think uh well john carpenter certainly knew that when it came to um well the story of halloween but also the actual filming of it because they only got as much coverage as they absolutely needed and that's why they were so economical um you know it's art from adversity as they say but uh yeah any filmmaking element you know just as much as is required just to to make that particular thing and it's hate to say follow the recipe because that makes it sound like it's you know just that anyone can do it and that's not the case but at the same time you know the you know uh the statue of david only requires this many uh chisels at the marble and not that many uh, you know so it's a uh it's a delicate balance <laughs> all righty Unless anyone else has anything else to add, I think on that note we shall close this discussion. Um, so uh, why don't we um, start with uh, um, you, Brandon, and uh, tell us uh, a little bit about where you're from and what you do. All right. Well, I am uh, Septim Sen of Septim Sen versus the World. Uh, we are a YouTube channel that covers physical media in all its various forms and. Uh, and of course, the uh, and we praise the uh, preservation of that media. Of course, uh, our most recent update as we gear up for the holiday season, uh, we'll be uh, following a review of the film Christmas Cruelty, uh, which is an interesting Norwegian film, uh, to say the least. And of course, we will be doing a top 15 uh, Christmas films that we uh, actually should say holiday films because it follows the holidays and specials that are not on the main path, uh, such as, you know, not the classics, but of course those less traveled. <laughs> like, the, uh, like the Star Wars holiday special, which, exactly. is, which was aired around Christmas time, but is called a holiday special because it's about life day a Wookiee, a Wookiee holiday that I don't think is ever referenced in any Star Wars related thing ever again but it's, but it's still a better Star Wars movie than anything we've seen theatrically in years 
Stop taking drugs. The last story was wreck. It did have a great animated sequence. But, but that's pretty much what we've been doing. I also do occasional reviews for Inside Movies Galore and occasional collaborations. Uh, uh, usually when I see something that has no physical media, I try to make sure that I give that review to Movies Galore to post. Alrighty. Um, moving over to Dwayne. Uh, Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? I'm Dane Kyle, independent filmmaker out of Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, I have some good news, so I did a segment of, well, I did a short film that uh, has officially been included in the uh, horror anthology feature film uh, Creepypasta. Like, they, I officially signed the distribution paperwork um, today, and so that means that it will, you know, finally get um, out there. I don't exactly know when... Um, Correct. Say what? That would be your big blind short film, correct? Actually, no. Um, this film was called uh, Topsy Turvy Town, and it was based. Oh. It was a uh, lost episode, creepy pasta film. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was an original creation of mine, um, and it, uh, it. I officially signed the paperwork to get it distributed, and. Um, so that all can be coming out. And then also, uh, The Big Blind is my uh, film noir short that will be included in another anthology called um, Drive-In Grindhouse, which is nice. Um, I mean, I didn't really conceive it as a Grindhouse thing, but at the same time, like, I could see why it might fit, you know, in there alongside other things. Because, um, you know, a lot of... You know, certain kinds of noir could be, you know, put alongside, you know, alongside films like that. Um, but anyway, so that's on the horizon, and, uh, you know, uh, got, uh, oh yes, I forgot. Uh, I did another one, um, another segment for um, another anthology called uh, Clownsploitation, and that film actually uh, got onto uh, Troma now, not too long ago. I think uh, just a few days ago. So uh, anybody who has Troma now can watch it. Uh, my segment is called "The Call of Cutlass," with both of those with the K, um, and it was features me playing a creepy clown, um, and uh, so it's pretty cool if you want to see me act. <laughs> I still need to see Terrifier. Oh yeah, that that one has uh, Captain Cochran in it. Well, um, the guy who plays the clown like follows me on Twitter, and he's he's pretty fun to interact with. So that's cool. Uh, yeah, Catherine Cochran's in there, and she was in uh, Return to Newcomb High Volume One and Two, and uh, she's nice too on on Twitter. Like the. Um, like the kind of, I kind of got screwed though. I, I I ordered some stuff from the cup from Epic Pictures. Uh, apparently they do Turbo Kid too, because uh, Turbo Kid stuff was all over their store. But for the Black Friday sale, I bought the Keen Hunter documentary, um, the Pen Gillette director's cut movie, and then Terrifier. And they sent me they sent me the DVD of Terrifier instead of the Blu-ray. So I have to wait. 
for them to send you the replacement, which they actually did do, and fairly quickly, it's just kind of like, man, like, I'm, I'm holding out watching it, like, for the actual hard copy. Like, I don't want to just, like, jump on Netflix, but it's like, eh. And that is that. And then, you know, of course, uh, the news story, you know, post office taking day off out of, because President Bush died. And it's like, oh, fuck that. He finds one more way to screw everyone. Yeah, well, they won't ship this far east, which is sad. What, Epic Pictures? Yeah, they will not ship this far east. They they only ship to the Midwest and to the West. They will not ship to the East Coast. They're a company, aren't they? They're supposed to be an international company. Uh, I, they don't ship I to the East Coast. <laughs> I tried to get them to ship to me. I'm calling bullshit on that. That makes no sense. Uh, I've tried multiple times on their site because I wanted to get that Pendulette movie and a couple others, and they will not ship to here. Oh. What, what, uh, which Pendulette movie? Director's Cut. Oh, okay. Yep. That, that must be a new one that I haven't uh, seen. Uh, uh, I generally, I really like, uh, well, I, saw, I think we got to, at some point, we got to do uh, The Aristocrats, which he and uh, Harper Benza did. <laughs> Well, I uh, I used to listen to his podcast a while ago, and back that back in like 2015, 2014, he was talking about director's cut. It's like, yeah, do our GoFundMe for this. We're kind of making up as we go along, and then uh, I just kind of stopped hearing about it. And uh, I think at some, I think like early early this year, I heard it's like, oh yeah, director's cut is out. And it's like, oh that that did get made because it sounded like they weren't they probably weren't going to get the funding for it. Like, it was just an idea they had. Yeah, it, it came out, and it's sitting over there in my shelf, and it's probably going to be a good time. Well, in any case, uh, uh, since we're talking Dustin, why don't you uh, tell a little bit about yourself and what you do? Well, uh, I live here in Milwaukee and collect horror everything while still somehow being in school. Uh, uh, my... Mind just went blank. I took an involuntary nap, um, and that's why I was late. <laughs> uh, so I have my own channel uh, called The Crypt of Horrors, where I just try to do like real quick, you know, hey, look what I found out movie hunting today, or you know, here's what my pre-order here's my pre-order that we're gonna open up on camera for you know whatever. I think my my most recent one was I ordered the tracker mask from the Dead by Daylight official store, and I did uh, I did a quick review of that, and it's like, okay, let's open the box together, and so you get my full reaction to what's inside. So you uh, be bitch about like how they screwed it up yet again. Uh, and uh, so I'm also on Twitter with that name, uh, the Crypt of Horrors. I need to find a Santa outfit so that I can update my profile picture, though. <laughs> uh, I have an Instagram for my whole collection at dhrhunter, all one word. Uh, I have editorial power at Movies Galore, but I've been so busy with other, uh, other projects, like I haven't put anything on there yet. Uh, but, I mean, I do still have that review that's, like, mostly done. I just need to, well, wrap it up. <laughs> uh, and, I don't know, I kind of do a lot of different things, so it's hard to, 
I do remember. Alrighty. Uh, going over to Katie, uh, why don't you let us know uh, who you are and what you do. I'm Katie Cadaver from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and I'm a body positive horror artist and alternative model. You can find me on Facebook and Twitter and Patreon, and also on Instagram at 3RDEYE0PEN. I'm also the makeup artist for horror punk band Rapat Spider. You can listen to them at rapatspider.bandcamp.com. I'm also a dead girl for Dead Girls Dark Coffin Classics, and you can watch episodes at vimeo.com slash ddcc. I'm a trauma for Trauma Entertainment. You can find all things trauma at trauma.com. I am a performer and producer for Grindhouse Tees Burlesque Productions. You can find us on Facebook. And I'm also an editor for Movies Glore of Milwaukee. And I've uh, set up our schedule for the December films. Some of you pay attention to that. And for those of you that do, next week is National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. And then the week after, we'll be doing Scrooge. And then I don't know if we're taking a couple weeks off. I know I am taking a couple weeks off for Christmas and New Year's. But then we're going to uh, come back with Die Hard on January 8th. So... That's our upcoming lineup. Yep. That was the lineup we got after... Yeah, you want to bitch some more about it on the air, or should we maybe talk about it later? Mm-hmm. What do you think? I know, I think the drama... I think the drama is fun for some people. <laughs> Perhaps. <laughs> well, as, as we say around these parts, uh, save the drama for your llama. <laughs> Going over to Kabuki Jake, uh, what are you tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do? Alright, my name is Jake, I'm also in Central Virginia, and I frequently guest on Septum Stone vs. the World, and I too am looking forward to this Top 15 list for Christmas. Um, and I'm working on several uh, review videos. Uh, if you watch, I do occasional solo ones. Uh, one series will be um, reviewing the films in my personal collection that are part of the Criterion collection. I'm working hard on The Princess Bad right now, so uh, sometime soon I'll have some of those ready to post. And I'm also working on reviews for the Sentai Premium sets, and I'm closing in on finishing the Hayafuru. So that one is kind of, uh, that review will be made very soon. Um, actually, have some time this week to focus on review, which is nice. They don't get that very often. Uh, <laughs> partly because uh, one of my gigs is slinging Christmas trees and it's rapidly coming to a close. Thank God. Uh, <laughs> and I do have my own channel as well called Bookie Jake. I don't update very often, but there's some good videos on there, and there will be more occasionally added. Uh, I think I picked up a subscriber, so that's kind of cool. And that's what I'll do for the now. Alrighty. And uh, my name is David Stringy. I run Inside Movies to War, but uh, I think uh, I can say, uh, say with uh, pleasure that I run it with all of you. And um, um, also, I um, uh, write for a blog called Movies Galore, for, uh, for Movies Galore of Milwaukee, and uh, uh, you can definitely check some of my reviews out, out there, but I've been uh, hanging around on YouTube, uh, doing YouTube reviews, and 
Uh, we have uh, we have now hit 140 subscribers. So yeah, we're we're winning. We're rolling. We're 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 moving up, which is a lot a lot since uh, when we first started a couple of years ago. We um, oh yeah, like 20 last year. Yeah, we're we're actually I think. Um, I mean, on our own, that, that's actually doing fairly well. So, so, um, so like and subscribe, everyone, uh, 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 and definitely check our uh, page, uh, uh, page and channel out. So, um, say good night, everyone. Good night. Bye. My mother thanks you, my father thanks you, my sister thanks you, and I thank you. <laughs>